The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. You can be opening to uh, 1 Corinthians 12, and we are going to be looking, continuing in 1 Corinthians 12, and that's our, that's our Palm Sunday message. Well, why is that our Palm Sunday message? Well, because back then, um, the Apostle Paul, while others are out hiding Easter eggs and others are collecting Easter eggs and waving palm branches and putting ashes on their forehead, the Apostle Paul was having to break up fights in the Corinthian church during their Easter season. Really, the work of a pastor. Um, and it didn't matter what season it was or holiday, um, his work was nonstop and he was under pressure at all times trying to bring peace and harmony to the local church and just so happened that uh, this was true also in Corinth. Uh, the conflicts they were having needed immediate attention uh, that's reality, and so we're going to keep plugging through, at least this week, First uh, Corinthians 12, we'll finish the chapter today, and then we're going to look at a Resurrection Sunday account next Sunday on Resurrection Sunday on Easter. I would encourage you to invite a friend or two or neighbors or family or whoever you can, because they're going to hear the gospel, and we're just, it's just going to be real basic. Uh, one of the accounts out of the gospels, um, a historic account of how Jesus gave his life and how he rose again from the dead uh, powerfully. That'll be Sunday, and then also encourage you to uh, be here if you can on Good Friday, where we'll focus in on the actual crucifixion and, and the meaning of the crucifixion and Christ's substitutionary death. Very important. So we'd encourage you to be a part of that, as Derek mentioned earlier, from 7 to 8 p.m. Uh, this Friday. A blessed time to be with the saints. With that, let's go ahead and go to the Word of God, 1 Corinthians 12. And today we're looking at verses 15 through 31. I gave you a handout there, if that's helpful for you, to follow. Um, the title of the message there, The Harmony of the Gifts, and that really is what Paul is going to capitalize on today. Harmony of the gifts, uh, harmony in the body that God desires. We have laid uh, a very thorough foundation in verses 1 through 14. Many messages have gone into those 14 verses because uh, a solid foundation needed to be laid. There is much confusion when it comes to spiritual gifts. So I think we laid a thorough enough of a foundation to, to set the context that we could actually cover 15 through 31 makes it possible. Another reason we're covering so many verses is because verses 15 down to 26 is actually uh, one analogy or metaphor that Paul gives as an illustration that can't be divided up. It just wouldn't make sense. And so we've got to preserve the continuity as he illustrates or compares the church of Jesus Christ to the human body. Uh, and it's very simple illustration. The human body is one entity, and the church body is supposed to be one entity. The human body is made up of several different kinds of members. Fingers, hands, toes, feet, eye, ear, nose, head, heart, even the internal organs. And they all have, they all have a different function, an important function, a complementary function, many different members, but all serving the one body, all functioning in harmony and paul is saying come on church that's what you're supposed to the local church is supposed to be like that you're one body yet you got yeah you've got differences among you but that's by god's design god wants those differences and those differences are supposed to function in harmony serving the one unit called the body of christ so it's really that simple it's a beautiful illustration uh, another illustration that i referenced last week was the church is like a team like a sports team um, we have many different kinds of people and players on the team, but it's one team. 
It's the same idea. So uh, that's what Paul is going to give this very simple illustration just to kind of make sure they got this truth in a practical manner as he said many things up to this point, verses 1 through 14. Another way to break up this chapter in a simple way is verses 1 through 14, really 1 through 13, Paul's emphasis is on rebuking those in the Corinthian church that had a superior attitude. That's what he's focusing on. And the ones in the Corinthian church with the superior attitude were the Corinthians Christians who had like showy gifts, high-profile gifts, public gifts that were on display that everybody could see, in particular the gift of speaking in tongues. And he's going to spend an entire chapter 14 talking about that. So they were um, just totally out of control in showcasing and flaunting their spiritual showy gifts, like speaking in tongues, uh, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. These were all kind of like prophetic gifts that gave direct revelation that you did up in front of everybody, even including prophecy as well. And so they were out of control, flaunting it and thinking more highly of themselves because they had this showy gift, while at the same time looking down on other Corinthians who didn't have the showy gifts as though they were inferior. So verses 1 through 13, Paul is categorically clear. Uh, he gives them a rebuke that you are arrogant, you're misusing the gifts, it's all about God anyway. You didn't earn that gift. You didn't deserve that gift. God gave you that gift. And you need to use it for the edification of others. So after rebuking them, now he's changing gears. So whereas the emphasis was rebuking the superior ones in 1 through 13, now for the rest of the chapter 15 through 31, he's going to focus on those who are inferior in the Corinthian congregation. It's the silent ones. It's the ones who felt maybe worthless, inferior, Maybe they felt, well, this church doesn't need me. I don't have the showy gifts. I don't have the gift of prophecy. I don't, even, I don't even know what my gift is. I don't even know where I'm supposed to serve. I have nothing to contribute. And so this is who Paul's going to address is these weaker Christians in terms of the weak gifts or uh, the non-showy gifts. And they just feel like I really don't have anything significant to contribute. So this is very relevant for us because no doubt there are some of you here today thinking, you know, I don't even know what my gift is. I don't even know what my part is in the local church or at GBF or the Church of Christ. I don't think I'm really that useful. And maybe you're having kind of some insecurity or an identity crisis or you just don't feel like what you have to contribute is, is worth very much. And there's and so Paul is addressing those people in the rest of this chapter, to number one, to encourage them and let them know, know what you have to contribute is vital. And he's also going to talk to the superior ones again about their attitude towards the inferior ones. So let's go ahead and look at that. And as a result, there should be harmony when using our gifts, not competitiveness or territorial attitudes or condescending, looking down our nose at other believers in a competitive manner. There should be harmony by God's design. So let's go ahead and look at it. I just broke this passage up into four points to kind of rein in our thinking and simplify things. And so... Uh, let's look at the harmony of the gifts as Paul emphasizes now speaking to those uh, who feel a little bit inferior in the church. And like I said, this this could be some of you sitting in the pews wondering how you can be used in any significant way. So let's go ahead, follow along as I read verses 14 
tonight. And the first point is the benefit of diversity. Differences are not bad. Differences are good. Differences are by design. And here's what Paul has to say. Here he begins his analogy, actually in verse 12 of the body, but he picks up in verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. The human body has many parts to it. It's really simple. Verse 15, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I'm not part of the body. It is not for this reason, any of the less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body. It is not for this reason, any of the less a part of the body. Now, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole uh, were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members each one of them in the body, just as he desired. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? So here, two main points of emphasis Paul is talking to the Corinthians about. The first one I already mentioned, and that is trying to encourage those that feel inferior. So maybe some of you here, notice uh, he quotes those who are people who are the foot in the body. The foot, that's not, the foot is usually not very glamorous. Uh, many times we cover up the foot because... Some people's feet are pretty ugly, but anyway, or they can be smelly or stinky. It's just, it's not like the hand. The hand is very useful and it's out there and it's uh, got front stage appearance. And um, But he's comparing the inferior ones uh, as the foot. Maybe you're a foot in the body and you just, you're not as good as the hand and as glamorous as the hand and showy and available as the hand and doing as much work as the hand or you're not noticed like the hand. Um so the foot is the inferior one. Then he quotes the ear. And it compares the ear to the eye. So some of you out there, you might be an ear. Ear, it's kind of, as you're looking at somebody, you know, the ear is kind of on the side of the head. So it's not as noticeable as the other body party mentions, the eyes. That's one of the first things we see. When we're talking to somebody, we're looking in their eyes, right? Front and center. Uh, the, the eyes are the window of the soul. So... Uh, the ears, they're not as noticeable. And if you have long hair, then your ears might even be covered and totally hidden and almost insignificant. You don't even notice them. And that's the whole point. There are people in the church who go absolutely totally unnoticed for various reasons. It could be because of where they serve. Uh, they're doing it in a place where it doesn't get noticed, but it's behind the scenes. I mean, most of you can't see who's up there doing sound. It's a very vital, important ministry. Some of you probably don't even know we, we have a nursery going on right now. And there are people serving in the nursery and faithful helpers helping in the nursery and they're going unseen. And then there's the people who do music and up here playing and singing and the preacher guy and get front stage center attention. And so that's the analogy that he's making. Um, so just because you're not seen, just because you're not showy doesn't mean you're not as valuable. That's his argument here. So uh, this is to encourage you in the congregation who feel like a foot. I feel like a heel. Or those of you who feel like an ear, you're hidden, not as significant as others. So uh, that's his analogy there. Uh, verse 17, he says, um, or yeah, he says, you're, you're just as much a part of the body as anybody else. So he's trying to encourage, and we need to be encouraged. We need those reminders. And it might be, you know, that's why Scripture says encourage one another. And here's a way that we can practically encourage each other in this church. For those of you who have the honorable positions and the showy positions and you're very confident in your position or your role, uh, we could purpose to encourage others who aren't so confident or they're unsure of themselves. They need to be encouraged. 
that's uh, a mandate from God and part of the one another. So this is a great reminder to do that. He goes on with his illustration in verse 17, being a wee bit sarcastic or overly exaggerating, as great teachers do at times by way of illustration. If the whole body were an eye, I mean the whole body, here comes the body rolling down and it's an eye. It doesn't need feet because it just rolls as an eye. Where would the hearing be? It would just be able to see. It couldn't communicate. It couldn't speak. couldn't hear. So it is deficient. That's the point. There's a deficiency there. So there's this blessedness uh, that diversity brings. So that would be the main point there. What is the benefit of diversity in the different gifts Paul's getting at here is balance. That is the benefit of diversity. It brings balance to the body of Christ. All these different body parts. And so all the different giftedness that we have in the local body that God put there brings a healthy balance a breadth and a depth to our body, to our ministry, a blessing to others. Um, Paul goes on, verse 17, If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be, which is absolutely vital? Sometimes just the sense of smell can be life-preserving. You're asleep and the house is burning down. You don't hear anything. You, You don't see anything. And it could be just the fact that you smell smoke is what saves an entire family. Isn't that amazing? How beneficial is that? That's what I call vital. Uh, verse 18, but now God has placed the members. God, ha- This is vitally important. If you feel inferior, insecure, oh, my gift, it's so, it doesn't matter, you're wallowing in your own self-pity. Probably you're thinking about yourself too much. And that's why Paul says, he repeats this refrain all throughout this chapter, reminding us. So those of us who feel insecure and inferior, we know what we need. We need to be reminded, reminded that it's about God. He is in charge. He is sovereign. He is in control. He, he wired you the way that he did on purpose. God made you. He created you. If you're a Christian, he wants to use you to help bless others and build up the body so that's where the focus needs to be get eyes off self get them on god the sovereign one that's the point of verse 18 but now god has placed the members god has placed gifted christians in every local church god when it says that god has placed members it's also it's primarily talking about the spiritual gifts that he has dispensed and given so god has now placed believing Christians in the local body with very specific spiritual gifts, even non-showy ones, and a diversity of all the gifts. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, every single one matters, every single one counts, every single one is considered highly valuable by God Almighty in the body just as He desired. He repeats it, He is emphatic. God has placed the members just as He desired. It is His sovereign will. So I have a gift not because I desired it, not because I prayed for it, not because I harassed God about it or because other people said I need to pursue it and get it. I have a gift and the gifts that I do have because God has placed them and placed me in the body and he has given me the gifts he's wanted as he desired according to his will. He is sovereign in giving out the spiritual gifts. And Paul has repeated this time and time again. That's probably one of the main truths we need to take away from this chapter regarding the spiritual gifts. 
And then he concludes at verse 19, and if they were all one member, where would the body be? So we need blessed diversity. We need. Ble- I was just thinking about our church. Uh, GB. Actually, we did this at the deacons retreat. I asked the deacons, gave them a little quiz, and I was asking them about diversity in our church to see how well they knew the body and our members in particular. Uh, and I gave them a diversity quiz. But here's some of diversity we have in our church, little GBF of 200 plus people. And it's a blessed thing. Uh, we have the, the diversity of male and female in our church. We, which we need. Uh, we have the diversity of age in our church at GBF. We didn't always have that, by the way. So we were, we were a little lopsided when we first started the church. We had like 15 people my age, 40 years old, and my wife's age. And we all had same age kids. And we, we didn't have any babies. And we didn't have any seasoned saints. And so there was kind of just one demographic. And as a result, yeah, it was a little lopsided and we lacked depth and breadth and we lacked uh, things that we could do and minister to people and we had needs that weren't being met in terms of mentoring and those kind of things Uh, but now god has been so gracious to give us diversity in terms of age and demographics we have babies we have preschoolers we have youth we have college age people we have young marrieds young adults we have middle-aged folk uh, such as myself and then we have our seasoned saints who are a wonderful blessing with the wisdom that they have to impart that is by god's design that's a wonderful thing not every church has that for different reasons. Uh, we also have diversity in our uh, races and our ethnicity and our nationalities here in GBF. Here's just a few of our different our diversity that I thought was great. We have uh, some Irish people, Irish Americans, German. Uh, we got some Ukrainian blood in here. We got some Mexicans. We got some uh, Colombian folk, Colombian, African, Russian, Filipino, Indian, as in India, Chinese. Korean, Japanese, Scottish, Jewish. Did you know that? I'm not going to tell you who it is. Um, Hawaiian. I thought that was one of the 50 states. Yeah, but they kind of see themselves as a distinct entity. We've got Hawaiian. We've got and even we've got Texans here. Yeah, they're different altogether. And I think we have a Stanfordian. A Stanfordian. One of my children was born at Stanford Hospital. So that's, isn't that blessed diversity? I probably missed somebody in some nationalities out there. But anyway, it's a good representation. We have diversity in education and education levels, education background. We have a blessed diversity in talent and skills and abilities that many times actually got supernaturally energizes into a spiritual gift to bless the body. Uh, and we have a, just a blessed diversity in spiritual gifts um, here at GBF. Now, I wanted to take what Paul said as he's trying to encourage you that feel like maybe you're a little inferior in terms of your giftedness and you don't get to teach or sing a solo or whatever. Here, here are some of the inferior ministries like the big toe or the ear that's hidden by the hair here at GBF that I as the pastor think is absolutely vital. As a matter of fact, there are days where I think these people are the most important people in the church. And I would consider these uh, inferior ministries because they are hardly ever thought about. Nobody even, half the time people don't even know this is going on. Uh, the s- people who, the, who minister and set up the baptistry. I had nightmares about that last night. Because there have been times where I've gone to church on baptism day and the tank wasn't set up and there wasn't water. Not at this church, but it's happened as a pastor. Uh, so I get here and, oh man, the tank is full. Praise the Lord, whoever did that. And the water is warm and clean except for that fly. I'll get it out of here. Um, this is blessed ministry. Probably the most important ministry for me today. 
uh, those who set up the microphones and the sound and get those going, uh, those who set up communion on Communion Sunday, absolutely vital. Do you even know who does that? Uh, those who set up the fellowship meal, those who come to prayer uh, at different times, prayer, prayer Mondays once a month, that's a ministry of the church, absolutely important. Uh, the prayer time that we have at 1045, by the way, you're all still invited to come. 1040, it's right here in the library. It takes five minutes. Absolutely vital. There are some faithful people, very few, who do it every single Sunday. To me, it is tremendously important. And it's important to the Lord. Uh, those who proofread the bulletin. There are some people you don't even have a clue. They do, and thank you for doing that. Um, those, the helpers in a nursery, I already mentioned that, and those who tear down in the service, the fellowship meal, all over. These are just blessed, wonderful saints. Um, so the benefit of diversity is it provides this wonderful, healthy balance. Let's go on to point number two, the need for unity. Uh, the need for unity in light of this diversity. Um, Paul's going to em- emphasize the word there, and number two is interdependence. We, need, we are interdependent upon one another. We need each other in the church to grow and to be discipled as healthy Christians. That's by God's design. So let's look at verse 20 to 24. First part of the verse. But now there are many members, but one body. So there's a diversity and yet unity. Verse 21, and the eye cannot say to the hand. So now he's, he's flipping it around. Uh, first he was talking about those who felt inferior. And, oh, another thing you shouldn't do if you're inferior. Don't compare yourself to other people if you're inferior. If you feel that way. Because that will just make you feel more inferior. Other people are not the standard. That is a false standard. That's why you illegitimately feel inferior. You're comparing yourself to other people. That's just a natural habit that humans have. Don't do that. But now he switches gears here. And now, uh, verse 21, he says, And now the I, that's the superior Christian, showy, self-confident Christian because of their giftedness, cannot say to the hand, the inferior one in the local church, I have no need of you. That's an arrogant attitude. That's self-sufficiency. That's what the Corinthians had. That's what Paul just rebuked for 14 verses at the beginning of the chapter. Don't do that. You're not self-sufficient. You do need other people in the church. You're interdependent upon those other people. They will help you grow by God's design. And you're neglecting that. You're not seeing that. God's plan of interdependence among the body. I have no need of you. Or again, the head, head, which is superior, saying to the feet, I have no need of you, feet. As I'm the head. That's wrong. Verse 22. So these are Christians with a superior, arrogant, egotistical, self-sufficient attitude. The problem is when you have someone or a Christian with a superior, arrogant, prideful, condescending, judgmental, superioristic attitude, they usually won't admit that they do. That's the problem. So here Paul's trying to challenge that person, rebuke that person. It's not like they're going to say, oh, yes, that's me. I'm the arrogant one. I need to be rebuked. Usually you kind of have to hammer away again and again and again at this because the pride is so thick. That's the challenge. So there might be some of us today. I had to, okay, wow, God, I'm in, I'm in a showy position. Man, I'm invulnerable. Uh, I am t- susceptible to pride and arrogance and pats on the back and all that stuff. How do you guard against that? Um, that is a challenge. Verse 22, on the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Here's the irony. Paul's talking about, let's go back to the human body. You got the head. It's the first thing you see. 
leads the way, communicates, got the eyes. Those are the showy gifts up front. Or you've got uh, the hands. He mentioned the hands as kind of a showy gift. And he's saying, well, you know what? The hand, it's uh, highly functional, does a lot of things. But you know what? It's not indispensable. As a matter of fact, I got my hand chopped off. My body could still survive. And that happens to people. What's I, the irony here, Paul says, is uh, some of the weaker parts of the body are absolutely vital and they're not indispensable. That's the end of verse 22, where he says, on the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Well, you know what he's talking about? He is talking about the internal organs, the heart. Nobody sees it. You can't just not have a heart. Oh, my heart died. Oh, the doctor, he cut my heart out last week. Doing pretty good, aren't I? No, you'd be dead. You get a finger, you get a thumb chopped off. I got a friend, he had his thumb chopped off. Whoosh, on a saw. He, he still functions. He's still alive. But those weaker parts, at the end of verse 22, I think Paul's talking about those internal organs. The heart, uh, the lung, those kind of things. And God even gave our body practically to protect and shield them under all these bones and the skeletal structure because they are... They are weak, but they're absolutely necessary, and we can't do without them. That's his point here. So the the mouth and the head and the eyes and the hands, they think they're all self-sufficient, and they don't even realize, you know what, you need your heart, otherwise you couldn't function or even be alive. Verse 22, so he starts talking about different body parts uh, by way of analogy. Verse 23, he says, And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, what are those? Those are probably, in light of the verb that he's about to use, Probably the uh, the torso, the thighs, the things that you just kind of don't want to look at at somebody. Those parts of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow. Actually, that verb means to put on, to put clothing on. We hang and drape clothes on those parts of the body so that we don't have to look at them. So we make them a little more honorable. Like, you know, our, my big fat gut that you can't see? My suit covers it. Don't I look nice? That's what he's talking about. Uh, so those are the members that we deem less honorable, and so we clothe them and we hide them with clothing so that uh, they are presentable and have they actually have more honor. And then he goes on and talks about another party part in verse 23, and our unseemly members, unseemly, that refers to our private parts that God covered on Adam and Eve and that God desires that they be covered in public ever since the fall. We should be covering our private parts out of modesty, as a reminder of sinfulness and a reminder that that belongs at, between husband and wife and family at home. So anytime you've got a society that's abandoning that modesty, they're going totally against God's will. Uh, so he's talking about the private parts we need to cover and uh, pr- then provide honor as a result. Um, and then he goes on, verse 23, the unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness when they're covered. Verse 24 Whereas our seemly members, our seemly members are ones that are uh, presentable, they're good to look at, they're fine, the face, the head, the hands, those are the seemly members. They don't have any need. Need of what? Need to be covered with clothing. Um, so, but again, he's just emphasizing this uh, interdependence that we have on each other as members in the body of Christ. I think about me in so many ways. It's like, you know, who's my pastor? I need a pastor. Because I am fallen. I am a sinner. I am weak. At times I lack in faith. So I need a shepherd. 
Every sinner needs a shepherd. Who's my shepherd? Or who's going to help me? Who's going to help me with, give me wisdom about making decisions and finance and dealing with my kids or so many other areas where I am weak or short-sighted and incompetent. I need help, not just a pastor. I need input and wisdom from others. Well, where do I get that? I'm supposed to get that from the body of Christ, other members, and not just leaders in the church, but others who God has gifted. And I've done that many times. I've been blessed by many in this congregation in so many different ways because I am dependent upon you, and we're all supposed to be independent or interdependent on one another. So that's the blessed unity that's supposed to exist among diversity. And Paul highlights that just by giving different body parts that are so different and yet need to function together to complement one another. So the need for unity, it provides interdependence in the body of Christ. Uh, so after the benefit of diversity, which is balance, and the need for unity, which is interdependence, he goes on. Verse, let's look at verse 24 and following. What is, this, what is the blessing of solidarity that we have in the body of Christ? What, is the bless, what are some practical blessings as a result of being interdependent on one another, leaning on one another, having different gifts that complement us and help us where we are weak, filling up our deficiencies. One of the blessings, uh, number three there, is ministry. It's just mutual ministry to one another. Practical ministry, helping each other, serving each other. Like I said, in a very practical way. So verse 24 and following, the middle of the verse, uh, Paul says, but, so there's a, a transition here, but God. So this is about the fourth time he's emphasizing. When it comes to the body of Christ and differences in giftedness, we've got to keep going back. God is sovereign. He's the one that put these people in the body. He's the one that wired you. He's the one that gave you your gift that was different. He had a plan for this diversity. But God has so composed the body. What does that mean? God, by design, makes the body complex, diverse, and many differences in it. Differences are not bad. Differences are good. I said it last week. Spouse, if you're married, my husband is so different from me. That's not shouldn't be a complaint. That should be a praise. That's God's design. Or if the husband says the same thing, my wife is so different from me and she thinks so different from me. Praise the Lord. That's by design. It's the way it's supposed to be. So also here, uh, verse 24, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacks, verse 25, that there should be no division in the body. But the members should have the same care for one another. So, again, it's just a matter of humility and having uh, the, the right attitude towards every person in the church. We take membership seriously here. We are specific about membership. Uh, we expect the elders, shepherds, and deacons to know who the members are. And our obligation is if we have 152 members or whatever it is, you know what? I need to love every one of the 152 members the same. As a pastor, I have to. That's what Jesus would do. I can't show partiality. I can't say, oh, I don't like that sheep. Their hair is gross. They stink. They play in the mud. No, I'm the shepherd. I love all the sheep. And that's the attitude that he's talking about. This is a Christ-like attitude. And this preserves unity. And because there can't be any schisms or division in the church body, and that was one of the main problems the Corinthians had. And it starts with your attitude. If you're a member of this church at GBF, and right now you can think of a, a member you don't like, that is sinful. You need to pray to God, God, soften my heart towards this member. I, my attitude stinks. It is not Christ-like. It's actually evil. God, humble me. Show me my sin. Give me love for every other fellow believer. 
so that I can fulfill Philippians 2 where Paul said, love everybody the same. That's what we're supposed to do. There should be no division in the body. We're supposed to get along harmoniously like a human body. But the members should have the same care for one another, equal care for everybody. Looking out deliberately for, for needs and where people are hurting. Verse 26, and if uh, one of the members suffers, all the members suffer. Uh, if one of our members is sick physically, we should be aching with them and praying with them. Uh, they're struggling emotionally or financially, we should have a hurt in our gut on their behalf. They're experiencing trials. We should feel the same thing. That's what Christ had. We suffer along with them. Uh, if one member is honored in light of their giftedness or service or something, God blessing God brought in their life, we don't get jealous. We celebrate. Praise God. We don't get equal honor. It says we have equal joy. We, they get the honor. We rejoice with them. We're not coveting how they got blessed or honored. That's a Christ-like attitude. So this is uh, ministry, mutual ministry to one another, solidarity, how we feel towards every single believer without impartiality and the equalness of Christ's love towards one another, the blessing of solidarity. And then let's go to Paul's summary, uh, 27 through 31. Um, so he makes a transition in verse 27. Uh, the right priority. So this is a summary statement for this entire chapter of everything. He's going to close it out now. And that's why he says now. Now, here's the summary of everything that I've said. I've said a lot. He's made a lot of powerful points. He's addressed two different uh, parts of the body of Christ. And here is his summary statement. His summary statement, by the way, emphasizes get your eyes off yourself. Get them on God. And his sovereignty and how he dispenses the spiritual gifts and putting the Corinthians in their proper place. One more time. So number four, how do we keep from having divisiveness over spiritual gifts like is going on in the church today and has been for the last 50 years? We've got to have the right focus, and it's on God's purpose. So that's number four. The right priority is God's purpose with the spiritual gifts. His priorities when it comes to the local body of Christ. Well, what is it? Uh, verse 27. Uh, now you are Christ's body. Just, Just remember that. We're Christ's body. We are one family. We are one team. No one is better than the other in terms of value or before God. Yet at the same time, you're individually members of it. You're, you're different and you are vital and important and needed to bless others. So there's that unity with diversity in a summary statement. Verse 28, and God has appointed in the church. There it is. God has... Don't ever forget this. God is the one who puts people in the church. God is the one who apportions and appoints the spiritual gifts. Verse 28, God has appointed in the church first... Now, he's being very specific to remind the Corinthians of their problem. They were highlighting, showcasing, giving priority to speaking in tongues. And every time speaking in tongues was legitimately done... It was totally ineffective unless it was interpreted on the spot. Otherwise, it just sounded like gibberish. It was a real, I come to you and say this morning, I just started speaking French. And then I didn't interpret it. I said, that was pretty impressive, huh? I just spoke some revelation in French, and I've never taken a French class. Pretty cool, huh? And you're thinking, uh, real, I didn't know that was French. I don't speak French. It would be no benefit to you unless somebody interpreted the French of what I said into English where you could understand it. Uh, so they're putting a priority on speaking in tongues, and Paul's going to set them straight and remind them, you know what, tongues, 
uh, isn't even the most effective gift when it's being used in the church, especially when it doesn't have an interpreter. So you guys have the wrong priorities. Gifts is not the most important of the spiritual gifts. Here are the priorities. So that's why he's going to give a priority first. Actually, priority gift number one is apostleship. We wouldn't have our Bible if we didn't have the apostles. The apostles brought divine revelation. They brought the word of Christ. They knew Jesus Christ personally. They are foundational. The church was started on the apostles. So that is the priority. So that would be my priority today. What, what, what is the most prized spiritual gift in terms of a priority for me as a Christian today? It is the gift of apostleship because that's where I got my Bible from them. That's why he says first. He is deliberate here. First, second, third. Those are chronological, but they're also numbers of priority. Corinthians, you should be giving priority to the apostles of Jesus Christ himself. There's a personal reason Paul is saying this because the Corinthians had an arrogant attitude towards Paul. At the beginning of the book, we saw that. They didn't respect him as an apostle. They're like, oh, ho-hum. So priority, apostleship. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. Then, the rest. Isn't that interesting that teachers, teaching, the teaching ministry, the preaching of the word, the teaching of the word, preaching on Sundays, teaching in Sunday school, teaching in Bible studies, teaching the word of God in one-on-one mentoring relationships. That is a major priority of a church. It's one of the greatest priorities today because we don't have ongoing prophecy. We don't have ongoing apostles. We have the teachers who are now teaching what the apostles and prophets gave us. That is a priority ministry in the church today. Teaching. And it should be. What is the gift of teaching? By the way, he didn't mention teaching earlier, but he does now. The gift of teaching is the ability to explain divine revelation, what it means, and to help people apply it. Explain what it means, help them apply it. And that's what we do with teaching today. Explain what the Bible means and then hopefully help them apply it. I don't apply it for you. You with the Holy Spirit apply it after you understand what it means. Uh, But teaching is a major priority in every church and it should be. Whenever you have a church that doesn't have teaching, the word of God is a priority, then you have a sick church, a weak church, an unbiblical church, a church on the wrong trajectory and it's going to end up in the wrong place. Teaching the word of God is an absolute priority, bedrock foundational to any healthy church. As the teaching goes, so goes every other ministry in the church. Do you know that teaching and how you teach informs everything else you do in your church? If it's good teaching or bad teaching, it's going to dictate everything else. Um, so he goes on, first apostles, prophets, then teachers. And, and those are men. By the way, teachers doesn't, isn't exclusive to men. Women can be gifted at teaching. They just need to do it in the appropriate context. But women, God gifts women to be teachers. But the first three are gifts of people or offices. Then the rest of uh, the gifts are functions. So then there's miracles, the gifts of healing, the gift of helps, the gift of administrations, the gift of uh, administration is also governing, which means leading. It's interesting. He didn't mention helps and administration earlier, but he mentions them now. Helps. This is one of the only times. I think it's only used two times in the New Testament. Here it's mentioned as helps. Uh, It's a compound word. Literally, it means to help the weak. To, to grab, literally to grab the weak. It's picturesque. The weak part, you grab them and you help them and you alleviate the burden and you put them on your back and you carry the stuff for them. That's what this word means. This is very broad. Helps. I don't think the Corinthians thrived in this gift. I think that's probably why he mentions it here. And he puts it before, notice he puts it before tongues. You guys should be prioritizing helps before tongues. And you're not. 
uh, administrations. That means steering. That's a pilot. Administrations, it means governing. It's leading. It's a leadership. The gift of leadership. And then he says various kinds of tongues. So he, I think, purposely puts tongues at the end. You know what? Tongues is not the priority in any given congregation. As a matter of fact, tongues is a sign for unbelievers. It's not for the local church. You guys got it backwards. Then he concludes with this, uh, 29 and 30. He starts asking these rhetorical questions, which demand the answer no. Are all apostles, or not all are apostles, are they? In other words, not every Christian is given the gift of apostleship, only a select few. Uh, the next one, not all are prophets, are they? It's a rhetorical question. No, God doesn't give the gift of prophecy to every Christian. I, I read a few commentaries that said, well... Uh, Paul believed that every Christian could pursue and get the gift of prophecy. No, what, what book are you reading? It says right here, not all are prophets, only a select few. They were the foundation of the church. Prophecy shall be done away. Not all are teachers, are they? No. The gift of teaching is given to a select few by God's design in the church. And James reminds us that, you know, if you are a teacher, you should have some fear and trembling. You're going to be held to a higher standard. That's scary. Not all are teachers. And not all do miracles. Verse 30. Not all have the gifts of healing, do they? No. Not all speak with tongues, do they? There it is. Not every Christian is supposed to be speaking in tongues. That goes against the majority of what we hear from Pentecostal teaching today, where every Christian is told they need to be speaking in tongues. It's right here in the Bible, categorically clear. No. All do not interpret tongues, do they? No. And then look at verse 30 in his conclusion. It says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. Uh, the verb there, desire, here's the problem in your, your Greek Bible and our English. It can either be an indicative or an imperative. What does that mean? Well, it can either be an indicative statement, meaning it's just a, a matter of fact, or it can be a command. In other words, this can be, verse 31 can be translated two different ways. Paul is saying, like the New American Standard says, but as a command, you know what? You should earnestly desire and pursue the greater gifts. Well, how can we pursue the greater gifts if we can't pursue a gift and ask God for a gift? He just gives it to us at his desire and his discretion without us asking. It's a good question. The only way that that can possibly be answered, if this is an imperative, is what Paul is saying is, no, pursue, desire for your church the greater priority gifts like apostleship and prophecy and give those the greater emphasis because they're more beneficial to the body, not speaking in tongues. That's how that would have to be interpreted. Or if you take it as an indicative statement, Paul's, it's kind of a rebuke. He's saying, you know what? Um, you guys desire the greater gifts. You guys are illegitimately pursuing. And by the way, the word for desire, zealous, uh, most of the time is, has a negative connotation. You're, you're lusting after the more showy gifts. That's wrong. So there are two ways to interpret it. And they both make sense in the context. And then he concludes with this amazing statement, but, or and, and I will show you a more excellent way. I'm going to show you um, a higher priority than what spiritual gift you have. And that higher priority is the reality of biblical Christian love in the local church. And so he's going to launch into 1 Corinthians 13, the greatest living illustration and delineation of biblical love given to humanity. It's going to be a blessed reminder for all of us. Well, with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to remind us of these truths and have them penetrated deep into our soul and in our thoughts that they become a vital part of our very fabric 
as we live our life as individual Christians, but also in the local church here at GBF. Father, we thank you for our time together. Uh, Thank you for the many reminders of the Apostle Paul. As there's much to absorb uh, from this morning and just from this whole chapter, God, help GBF be compliant and reflect the reality of, of your will as you've given in 1 Corinthians 12, that we would be one body, that we would have unity, that we would uh, understand the purpose of diversity, that our focus would be on you, that we would bow the knee to your sovereign discretion of how you give the gifts, of how you place different people in different places, and that we would rejoice in that awesome reality. Uh, so protect our unity, God. Uh, we thank you for the body of Christ, and we thank you that Jesus Christ is the one and only head. Uh, and we love you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650 630 0009.